Good morning. Those of you that uh, were coming today to expect to hear Steve, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but uh, he called me several weeks ago and asked me if I would uh, fill in for him on this particular Sunday, and uh, of course I said yes, I would do that, but I made a big mistake. You remember last week, if you were here, Steve talked about his uh, military experience, and one of it was never volunteer for anything. Now, I don't mind preaching, and I didn't even think that as volunteering. But what I did do was I asked him, what would you like me to preach on? He says, well, I don't want to take the place of the Holy Spirit, but... If you would feel comfortable with preaching on the last verses of Galatians so that we can finish up that book and move on to the next things we have in mind. I said, yeah, that, that's okay, I'll do that. Then I read the verses. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what in the world? I, what have I got to say about this? But you know, as I got into it more and began to study, I find that there is some really good stuff, some interesting things that are contained in these seven verses. Now, I have to make a disclaimer before we read the scripture. My disclaimer is this, that some of these words might be considered delicate especially to young people. And so if you have to answer the question from one of your sons or daughters, what does that thing circumcision mean? That's your responsibility to tell them. I'm not going to go there. Writing a sermon is much like writing a research paper. You have to take the subject and then research it. And I remember from my high school days, and how many of you remember, did you ever have to write a research paper in high school? Yeah. And then when I got to college, of course, it seemed like every other professor wanted, we called them term papers at that time, that you had to write one. In the high school one, I learned all of the, how to put the footnotes in there and uh, put the things that go with that. And you always had to, if you use the same author and the same book and the same page, you put a thing that said Ibid. I never could figure out what that meant. I just know that it was the same as what you'd had on there before. And uh, when I got to college, well, in, in high school, again, the teacher wasn't so concerned with the content of our re research paper as she was uh, that we had all of the footnotes and all the no notes right so that we would have the proper thing when we did go to college. In college, they were more concerned about the content. And uh, I remember the first term paper I had to write in college, I was a English major, 
And we started out by studying ancient languages and ancient English. At the end of the first semester, we were on a semester basis. I had to write a term paper on the third act of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Eight pages it was supposed to be. How in the world? And the teacher, I went and talked to her about it, and she says, well, you need to give your interpretation of some things. And she says, for example, what did Shakespeare mean when he said, the sky is blue? I don't think she liked my answer because I said, I, I think it means it wasn't raining. <laughs> Romeo didn't have to stand out in the rain when he was yelling up onto the balcony. But so I began to research these verses, and I found out that there is no shortage of interpretation of these seven verses. In fact, I'd never thought of it before, but I just, on a whim, more or less, typed into YouTube, Galatians 6, 7 through 18. There were no less than 23 videos of pastors preaching on those particular verses. Some of them were good, some of them were not so good. One of them, I think the guy was practicing his stand-up comedy routine uh, and giving it out. But when you really get into this and begin to break it down, we're going to, I think, hear some neat stuff that will help us as a church and help us as individuals. So I'd like to read the scripture now. And I would invite you to stand, as is our custom here, to read the scriptures. Galatians 6, 11 through 18. And uh, you can notice that on the screen is the page number in the Pew Bible, if you need it there. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted by the, for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who want to follow this rule through the Israel of God. For from now on, let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. You may be seated.
as we think about those words, the first thing I'd like to draw to your attention that that this writing of Paul is actually unusual for him in that he sa- it says that he wrote it with his own hand. In those 23 videos, there were probably 18 different interpretations of what that meant. Some thought it was because he was losing his eyesight. Others thought it was because he was so crippled up in his body from his being tortured and beaten for the word that he spoke in the defense of Christ that he couldn't really write anymore. I think it's interesting that he took it and he said it for this reason. It's vitally important to what he has to say. Because look at the size of these letters that I write. And in most cases, Paul had always used a scribe to write, and then he would sign his own name at the end so that people would know that it was actually him. But these words he wanted to get across so much with greater emphasis that he wrote out this conclusion and summary of the whole book of Galatians. Notice that he does use those large letters. How many of you are on Facebook? Yeah, we got a few. How many of you send texts? Yeah. What did they say about using all capitals? It says you're yelling, isn't it? Now, I don't think Paul knew about texting or (laughs) Facebook, but it's almost like he's yelling this to get people's attention. It was so important to him that he wanted them to see it, to hear it, to understand it, of what was going on. Let me tell you why this is important. One reason is that Paul thinks it's important. And just because Paul says it's important, then it's important to me and should be important to you. By the way, I give you... uh, I was the one who requested we sing the the song, Trust and Obey. And in that song, you sang the title of the sermon. You sang the big idea of the sermon. You sang point number one. You sang point number two. And you sang point number three. And they are all the same. No other way. If I'd have asked you, what do you think that was that you sang most of it, you'd say, trust and obey. And that's true. That is important. But more important is that there's no other way. That's the message of Paul that he's trying to get across in these verses. Then Paul says, avoid the false gospel of self-salvation. Do you hear that? Avoid the 
false gospel of self-salvation. How many of us want to add something to our salvation? We think that our salvation somehow gets dependent on how well our church attendance is, how well our scripture reading is, how well our praying is, how well we present ourselves, but there's no other way except for Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. There is no other way. There is no such thing as self-salvation. But that has creeped into many of our churches. And I think sometimes it's creeped into our own lives. One of the ways that it's creeped into our churches is I, I was in a coffee shop earlier this week and uh, had a cup of coffee and I was observing what was going on around me and immediately I recognized that there were a couple of pastors also in the coffee shop. And so I intruded, <laughs> said, I'd like to chat with you. And we talked for a while. One of their first questions to me was, how big is your church? They were giving me an opportunity to boast in something other than Jesus Christ. And they themselves were looking for a place to either boast, boast because their church was bigger than mine. I didn't answer their question, by the way, how big is your church? I told them it was as big as God wants it to be. Our church is as big as God wants us to be. Now, I do believe that God wants to see a few more people here, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the success of this church is not based on how big we are. Another area where the church has been invaded by this kind of self-salvation, that some of the churches are so intent on putting on a production with the music that they lose the sense of, of worship and they lose the sense of the, our personal looking at the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate the way we do music here. It's good, it's solid, but it's not focused on who's on stage. It's focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not true in all churches. I've seen churches that they almost have more people up on stage than they have in the pews. Paul goes on to say in verse 12 and 14, if those who want to make good showing in the flesh, they would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they can boast in your flesh. People want to lay on us some extra stuff 
for salvation. But salvation must be in one thing and one thing only, and that is what Christ did on the cross. Paul says that there's a counterfeit gospel that will seep into our lives and into the lives of the churches. It's one of the greatest dangers that we face as Christians and as churches. There are some other things that other churches have allowed to seep into their things. There's, there's some churches that believe you're not really a Christian if you're not baptized. They've added to that thing to the salvation. You've got to be baptized. There's other churches that would say, you're, you're not really a Christian if you don't belong to a church. Those things are false. Those things are somebody's aim at self. Self. Salvation. And they will try and group us into that. There's other churches I could go on naming many that say, well, you got to give allegiance to the leader of the church. That's the only way you're really going to make it to heaven, if you have this allegiance to the church. Anything that is not presented in the Bible can lead to us being led away. But we need to realize that it's a clear and present danger in all of our churches and in all of our hearts. Have you ever driven a car that's uh, out of alignment? Kind of going down the road three-quarter sideways. It's tough to drive them. You're constantly fighting the wheel to keep it back on the road. You're constantly working on that, and that's where all your attention is, is keeping it going straight. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here happens to us when we allow these other things to come in and be added to our salvation. You're constantly fighting, knowing that you're, what you're doing is not the correct thing, but you need to get it back onto the road and be able to fight it. And that danger is that we will try to make a good showing in the flesh. Paul says the danger is doing something external that contributes to our salvation. It's doing something that we think adds to what Jesus has done in order to earn acceptance with God. In Galatians, that was circumcision. Now, that's the basic thing that they were trying to get the church to do, but personally, we often get some external behavior that we think contributes to our own salvation. Way back in the beginning of the history in the United States, the use of tobacco was prevalent. Everybody pretty much used it in one form or another. And then all of a sudden, the churches decided that that wasn't a good thing. They shouldn't be doing that. So that became a part of salvation, is that you quit using tobacco. 
We could probably say the same thing about alcohol. It doesn't have a thing to do whether you're, whether you're saved or not. Now, I don't think it's a good thing to smoke, and I don't think it's a good thing to use alcohol or drugs or any of the rest of it. But you can be saved while those things are still present in your life. I would urge you to get rid of them, but that's not going to be the end of your salvation because you aren't. Does that give us the right to go on sinning as we see fit? No, I'm not saying that at all. But it does say that we need to work on getting those things out of our life and knowing that salvation is there for us whether we have failed in those particular endeavors or not. Paul sees the options here as two. First, there's trusting Jesus Christ alone for salvation or some external salvation project that we have going on in our lives. He instantly recognizes that many will do anything to avoid trusting only in Jesus. That's what happens in a lot of churches today. We can trust in our the way we worship. We can trust in the ceremonies that we go through. We can trust in all these other things rather than just saying, I'm going to trust in Jesus. Paul says that... Uh, those who are pushing a works righteousness can't themselves keep the law or other standards they put on themselves. It is the false gospel that keeps being a good person will be our salvation. One theologian said this. Listen to this carefully. The only thing that you contribute to your salvation is the sin that you bring to the foot of the cross. Boy, it's quiet in here. The only thing that you contribute to your salvation is the sin that you bring to the foot of the cross. So the question quickly becomes, have you brought your sin to the foot of the cross? Then Paul goes on with the second part of this. He says, not only should we avoid the false gospel of self-salvation, but we should also boast exclusively in the cross. He says in verses 14 and 15, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but rather when we trust in Christ, what happens is a new creation. What happens in Christ is a new creation. Circumcision has no effect 
whether we have it, whether we don't have it. Now, how do you boast in the cross? We all have a tendency to boast in something. We all boast in some accomplishment we've had, some characteristic that's in our life, maybe some relationship. We can say, oh, I know such and such a person. And we boast in that. And the idea is to put ourselves above another person. And boasting is completely opposite to what Paul is talking about when we're boasting about ourselves or the things of the world. Am I guilty of boasting? Of course. First thing I did when I shot a 42 on the golf course this last time was call Dick and boast about it. <laughs> Rather than boasting in the cross of Jesus. That's hard to do, too. We often think of the cross as something almost of beauty, that we adorn it. Many times you'll see the cross is almost made out of gold or at least have some gold paint on it or bright brass. But to the Romans and to the early Christians, the cross was the ugliest, dirtiest thing they could think of to do to our Lord and Savior. And so we need to boast in that ugliness and it was ugly, and Christ was ugly because he had our sin upon him. And yet we need to boast about the work that he did on the cross. And the work that he did was to take all of our sin on his shoulders that we might know salvation. Paul goes on to say, that when you boast in the cross, you die to the world. When you will live a life that is boasting in the cross, you will die to the world. So how do you die to the world? Well, for me, I guess it didn't mean a thing, Dick, that I shot a 42 unless I accredited Christ's work on the cross to doing that. And I didn't. And he didn't. But to die to the world, to die to vain ambition, to die to things that we think are going to raise ourselves up rather than raising Christ up, rather than raising up our God and Father and Son and the Holy Spirit that wants to work in our lives. Now, I know we all have to work for a living. I know that we all try to do the best we can in our work, and we should. 
and we all need a certain amount of money to live. But if that is our sole goal in that, we have not died out to the world. See, Jesus promised, didn't he, that he'd never let us go begging for food. Yeah, we need to have money to buy groceries, but you'll be surprised how little you can get by on when you really have to. Boasting is more than just bragging. It is, according to John, to boast in glory and trust and rejoice in, live, revel in and love for something. The object of our boast, our glory, fills our horizon, energizes our attention, and absorbs our time and energy in a world in a word, our glory is our obsession. Our glorifying Christ should be our obsession. That's what we do. That's how we live. That's where, how in every situation we find ourselves in, we should be able to glorify Christ. Maybe by the way that we, we talk. Maybe by the way we keep our mouths shut. Maybe it's by the way that we treat other people. But that is going to be a glorifying thing to Christ. Everybody boasts in something. It could be, our again, our popularity, our intellect, our appearance, our influence, our income, our job performance, or even your religious accomplishments. We all boast in something. We all boast in something. But we also need to understand something else. Our boasting, our obsession, our identity should ultimately come from one place only, that being the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul repeats that several times over. The gospel changes what I fundamentally boast in. It changes the whole basis of my identity. Therefore, nothing in the world would have any more power over me. That's what Paul's saying. I am free at last to enjoy the world, for I do not need the world. I feel neither inferior to anyone nor superior to anyone. And I am being made all over into something, and something entirely new, a new creation in Christ Jesus. How many of you uh, might be familiar with the song, The Sound of Silence? Yeah, there's a few hands. That was a, uh, can't think of the name, uh, pardon? Simon and Garfunkel song. It's become a revival right now. Lots of people are singing it and bringing it back. And one of the things in that, there's a line in that song that says this, 
And the people prayed to the neon sign they made. And the sound was silence. Yeah, the neon god they made. And the sound was silence. There are some churches that I believe fit that description. God, help us that we never become a church like that. That we will not fall into that trap. The sound of silence. I could tell you about my favorite people that are singing that now. But uh, look on YouTube and there's a whole bunch of people that are singing it. Finally, at the end, Paul says this. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor circumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk in this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Interesting that Paul says, I've heard enough of this. Shut up, will you? Quit bugging me about this. I tell you, this is important. I've told you, and I've yelled at you about it. And so that's enough. Enough is enough. Put your faith and the work of Christ upon the cross.